0: Turn your Bibles to Genesis, or I'm sorry, Judges, Judges 16, 1 through 22. Judges 16, verses 1 through 22 in our story of Samson. Then Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he rose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the (laughs) lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him. And find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with, with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, yet not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now they were, there were men lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when touches when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, "Look." You have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And there were men lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again, after it had been shaken. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you've given us the examples of men and women in Scripture that we can relate to. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would apply the lessons that we're about to hear from Pastor Bruce to our own personal lives and that we would see that we are men and women just like Samson. Lord, help us to Hear what you have for us today and to apply it and to leave here change for having been here. We give you praise and glory for what you are about to teach us. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Well, again, this morning we want to continue in our series on one of the more famous. If I can say heroes of the Bible, personalities of the Bible, that is the person of Samson, this great man of strength and yet this man of weakness as well. And uh, today we're looking at one of the more infamous parts of his life, the story of Samson and Delilah. In fact, I'm sure most of you here, if not all of you, have heard something about the story of Samson and Delilah. Raise your hand if you know something about it, you've heard the story before. Maybe told to you as a kid, maybe t- learned about it in Sunday school class as a kid, or even adult, you've heard sermons preached about it, whatever the case may be. And, uh, and so we're going to take some time to look at this story again, Samson and Delilah. Several years after he left the White House... Former President Bill Clinton appeared on the TV CBS uh, program 60 Minutes in an interview with Dan Rather. And as, as they moved into the inevitable questions about his infamous dalliance with the one-time White House intern Monica Lewinsky, an action that put his marriage, his presidency, and his legacy at risk, Dan Rather came to that point in the interview where he asked this question. The central question is why? Why? President Clinton looked at Mr. Rather and he responded with this statement and I quote, I think I did something for the worst possible reason. Just because I could. I think that's... Just about the most morally indefensible reason that anybody could have for doing anything. When you do something, just because you could. Just because I could. Now that, we could say, is a life motto for Samson. It's a fitting motto for Samson. The trouble is, as we're going to see in this next portion of his life, that such... Motto: such standards leads to a dead end of self-destruction. By the time we reach the end of Samson's life, we will almost be tempted to ask as we look at him, didn't you, is that the same person? Didn't you used to be Samson? Here we will see this helpless slave with his feet chained, his head now shaved, His eyes gouged out, grinding at the millstone in a prison. And oh, how he bears little resemblance to this legendary hero of ours. This man who has accomplished unbelievable feats of power and strength. But that's what happens when you toy with temptation. In fact, notice there in your notes, Samson chose to toy with temptation... And his life became a living illustration of two of the Bible's great warnings. Look at it there with me. in Your notes, Proverbs sixteen eighteen gives us this warning. It says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall." And then in the New Testament, one Corinthians ten twelve we see the warning, where Paul writes, "Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall." Now, the amazing thing about Samson's fall is that it comes at the height of his career. The very last verse of Judges 15, which is where we left off last Sunday, says this. And he, speaking of Samson, judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, that's a key verse. It's a key verse in understanding, again, the life of Samson as a whole. This verse is telling us that Samson led Israel for how many years? 20 years. That's a long time. That's nothing to sneeze about. From the time he was about 20 years of age to the time he's 40 years of age, there was 20 years of peace, 20 years of prosperity, 20 years of relative freedom from the hands of the Philistines. Now this verse, when you be first look at it it kind of creates the impression that samson's problems all of his problems that we've seen so far up till now are kind of long behind him it looks like he's dealt with his problems of uncontrolled lust he's dealt with his problems of rage and anger and his desire for revenge It looks like he's not only empowered by the Spirit that gave him this great strength, but now he's living under control of the Spirit. But things are not always as they look, are they? The truth of the matter is, Samson hasn't put all his problems behind him, as we're going to find out. He has covered them up. He's ignored them. We could say he's kind of just swept them under the rug. And in the process, Samson has managed to live a pretty straight life for the last 20 years. But now he's about to have a, can we say, a midlife crisis. And oh, what a midlife crisis it becomes. Because he never dealt with the problems that plagued him in the beginning of his life. And so now, at approximately age 40, at midlife... Those same problems are about to surface again and trip him up. Only this time, they're not just going to trip him up. They're going to bring him down for the final count. That's the way it is, isn't it? The hardest thing we will ever say in life, the hardest thing I will ever have to say, the hardest thing you will ever say is, I have a problem. I have a problem. Man, those are some of the hardest words to utter. Nobody likes to say that. I mean, who wants to admit you have a problem in life? Well, Samson is just like you and me. He wanted to cruise along in life, and he just wanted to forget about his problems as a young man. He wanted to pretend his problems of the past were, well, they're just back there in the past. But because he never really dealt with his problems, he's going to toy with temptation again. And this time, it's going to take him down. It's going to destroy him. And so what I want us to do this morning, I want us to see, because I believe Samson's life, and in particular, in Judges 16 here, with this incident, this story of Samson and Deliah, it shows us what happens when we toy with temptation. And so look at the first point here of what happens: Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Some people just can't seem to say no to temptation. And Samson was no exception. Here was the leader of Israel, the judge of Israel. He's traveling down to Gaza, the capital city of the Philistines. Gaza was about 45 miles south from Samson's hometown of Zorah, which means he has gone about as far as he could from his geographic and spiritual home. The word Gaza is an interesting word. It's significant as it means the place of the stronghold. The place of the stronghold. And oh, how the strongholds in Samson's life, the strongholds he never dealt with, take control of his life here at the end. His venture in Gaza had no purpose beyond self-indulgence and was incredibly reckless on his part. Reckless spiritually in his life, reckless even physically to his life. He was courting danger. He's oblivious to the folly of fraternizing with the enemy. So what happens in this Philistine city of Gaza well there's three things here notice that first of all samson sees and then he visits a prostitute in gaza reminded again that samson is a man who is driven by his lust he's driven by his desires instead of being driven by his convictions and his commitments to god by the way samson do you realize is the only man this is interesting the only man in the hall of faith in hebrews chapter 11 whoever slept with a prostitute and yet he's still listed in that great hall of faith as a man of faith now i find that amazing it blows my mind this famous man of god saw and then he went in and spent the night with a prostitute What Samson sowed with a prostitute in Gaza, he would later reap in Sorek with Delilah, the more famous part of this story. Now, let me just stop and say God's word gives us an incredible encouragement here. In fact, it gives us an encouraging promise in the New Testament over in 1 Corinthians ten, verse 13, a familiar verse, but let me read it for you. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So I want us to understand one thing here. Samson did not fail at this point in his life because the temptation was too strong or there was no escape for him. He failed because he toyed with temptation. He is even seeking it out until finally he paid the price. Remember, everybody in Gaza now knows who this guy is. They know Samson, who he was. He was public enemy of the Philistines, public enemy number one. In fact, you would be too if you just got through killing 1,000 Philistines on Bone Hill. And so it's not surprising that when word got out that Samson was in Gaza... Which brings us to point number two. The Philistines then plot to kill Samson in the morning. Verse 2 tells us the Philistines plan to trap Samson inside the city walls, wait for him all night, and then kill him in the morning when he leaves. And so they posted a guard by the house of the prostitute, and they set an ambush by the city gates. Once the massive city gates were locked, let me tell you, there was no way out of the city. Only one problem, the Philistines didn't factor in the enormous strength of their enemy, which is somewhat surprising given the fact of all his accomplishments accomplishments and feats he's accomplished against them. So in the middle of the night, Samson left the prostitute's house. And number three, Samson escapes by picking up the city gates and carrying them off. Now try to imagine this incredible display of strength with me. In fact, uh, you'll see a picture. I love some of the storybook pictures that you find. And uh, if, you, if you've read storybook stories, you know, the stories to your children or grandchildren, you know, they always have the pictures and you can find them on the internet and they're just interesting. They kind of give you a visual picture of what some of this may look like. And so try to imagine with me what this incredible feat may have looked like. Samson put his arms around the gatepost of the city, which would have been driven deep into the earth. He tore out the doors of the gates, post and all, and then he carried them on his shoulders, get this, 38 miles uphill to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now as a feat of strength, this is one of the greatest exploits in human history. You say, how's that? Well, especially when you consider the city gates. Listen, these are not hollow core doors in your home. We have hollow core doors in our home. They're flimsy. Your kids can put a hole in those doors quite easily. You say, how do you know that? Well, ask me afterwards. I'll tell you how. (laughs) Scholars tell us these doors would have weighed about 700 pounds. And here Samson is carrying them on his shoulders. So to rip out a door like that and carrying it even one foot would take an enormous amount of strength. Something only God could do. And give to Samson now understand this was an act of boasting on Samson 's part, but it was also an act of humiliation on his part against the Philistines. The gates of a city in that day and age, they represent something they 're symbolic of that city's authority. The gates are symbolic of the city's security. And so for Samson to steal the city gates and to carry it away to the top of the hill which faces Hebron, and that may mean nothing to you, but Hebron is a city that is in Judah. In other words, that's God's people's country. And so he's carrying off the enemy's gates, which represent their authority and their security to Judah, their enemy, to the top of the hill which faces that city. In other words, this was kind of like Samson's way of saying to the Philistines, "See, not only can you not catch me, you can't stop me. Man, I can do anything I want. I control the symbol of your authority, I control your security, therefore I control you." Now, imagine the shame, the humiliation, and how furious The Gazites would have been in having their city gates stolen by their number one enemy. Now, if Samson were alive today, let me tell you, this guy would win the world's strongest man competition with ease, hands down. But that only makes his tragedy that much more greater. Samson had power without purity. He had strength without self-control. And in the end, he would experience a crushing defeat. Remember, for 20 years, for 20 years, Samson experienced the thrill of victory and has only experienced the sting and not the agony of defeat. Listen, that ought to have left him grateful and thankful to God Almighty. But instead, it produced a deadly complacency about toying with temptation. I can do it. I can toy with it and I can get away with it. No, you can't. Sooner or later, it always rears its ugly head and comes back and bites you. Samson has done two things now that are going to get him in big trouble. Big, big trouble. He's enraged the Philistines again by ripping off their city gates. But number two, and more importantly, he has inflamed his old passion for women and sex by sleeping with a prostitute. Samson is finding out the hard way that when you toy with temptation, listen, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go than you ever planned to go. And now he's about to find out that if you keep toying with temptation, number two, sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Now, in case you hadn't noticed it, in the life of Samson, he had this unfailing ability to choose, well, how else can we say it? The wrong kind of women. He's always choosing the wrong kind of women. In fact, in verse 4, You'll notice that Samson toys with temptation again when it says he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. What a name. That name is forever associated with this story, is it not? We know very little about Delilah except for her name and that she was more than likely a Philistine as well. The valley of Sorek was rather close to Samson's hometown. And so he's just wandering off again, and he meets up with this woman. And based on the lust of the eyes, I'm sure Delilah was sexually attractive to Samson, and so Samson entered into an affair with her. The Bible tells us Samson loved Delilah, but I believe it was probably more like a blind love, since Samson did not see beneath her surface, and he did not discern her true motives. Because as we will see, she had a heart for sale to the highest bidder. It's all too familiar by now. It's like deja vu all over again. Samson sees her. He wants her. He falls in love with her. And suddenly he's going down, down, down again. Now it's interesting that Samson got involved with how many women? Three. The Bible tells us three women that he got involved with. All three of them were Philistines. And all three of them got him into trouble. First, he was attracted, if you remember, to the woman in Timnah. He wanted to marry that woman. Then, this prostitute in Gaza here at the beginning of Judges 16. And now Delilah in the Valley of Sorek. Do you see what's going on here in Samson's life? It was these women who helped destroy his character and eventually destroyed his life. And in every case, he gets himself in trouble, only this time he's gone way too far. By now, Samson has become a, can we say, a national problem for the Philistines. And let me tell you, their leaders want to do everything and anything they can to get rid of him once and for all. And so they see their solution. Is in the person, in the woman of Delilah now. Look what it says in verse 5 of Judges 16. Look what happens next. It says, And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Entice him. Now again, that's the second time we've seen this. Deja vu again. second time we see this very word, entice. Entice him and find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. Now, again, let me just give you a little background here. The Philistines, if you remember from the very first message, they have five major cities throughout their territory. And each of those five cities had a major, quote, Lord which was none other uh, than a leader. Be like the mayor of the city. And so those five lords or leaders came to Delilah with a proposal she couldn't refuse. Again, we've heard the same story over again. Now here's the Philistine's proposal. Notice it there in your notes. The five lords of the Philistines offered Delilah a huge bounty if she could discover the secret of Samson's strength. Now, what an offer. That's a total of 5,500 pieces of silver they offer her just to betray Samson. Just to betray him. That's a huge amount of money. Let me tell you, in Delilah's mind, she's just won the, the Philistine lottery. Delilah had a heart for sale to the highest bidder, and so immediately she agreed to sell out the man who loved her. Now, you've got to understand, Delilah was a master at the craft of seduction. In fact, she probably knew Samson better than he knew himself. And so she chooses the direct approach first in verse 6. And look what it says. She comes up to Samson and she says, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Man, there's, she just comes right out and blurts it. She's not being wishy-washy at all. Now, what kind of man would be fooled by this? Listen, a wiser man would have heard alarm bells going off about now and ran for his life, but not Samson. He decides to play around with Delilah for a while. In fact, Samson toys with Delilah three different times here, but each time he gets closer and closer and closer to telling her the secret of his strength. Samson says to her now in verse 7 Look, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like other men. Samson thought this was all a game. But Delilah took him at his word, waited until he was asleep, and had him tied up. And then, with men waiting in the room, she shouted, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are coming. And immediately Samson jumped up and he snapped the bowstrings with ease. Now Samson doesn't learn. You think he would. And believe me, Delilah doesn't quit. This time, she uses anger as her tool. She says to him in verse 10, "Look, you have mocked me. You have told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. No problem. Let's play the game again," Samson thinks. So Samson says in verse 11, just use new ropes. you got to use new ropes. Same song, second verse. Delilah ties up Samson with new ropes, only to, seem to see the same result. He snapped the ropes like they were thread. But once again, Samson stayed. Now, you got to be asking yourself, what was this guy thinking? Right? I mean... Was he just that stupid? Or was he just convinced he was untouchable? And yet, when we want to ask those questions, folks, listen to me. It's so easy to ask those questions of Samson, but not of ourselves when we're in the same situation. Now, Delilah's persistent. You've got to give it up to her. She doesn't quit. She keeps at it. And once again, she complains to Samson that he's making a fool of her and he's lying, which, by the way, was true. He was doing that, but she's getting closer. Samson's third reply is very, very telling. In verse 13, look at it. Samson now tells Delilah, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Now, what's just happened here? Has he told Delilah the secret of his strength? No, but he's getting very, very close to it. Listen, the secret it's in his hair. All that stuff about bowstrings and ropes was all misleading information, but now he's letting her touch his hair. Samson's feeling so confident. He's feeling so cocky, man. He thinks he's invincible. And so for the third time, she cries out, here come the Philistines. And again, he wakes up and pulls his hair free from the loom. But now Delilah. Oh, man. Again, you got to give it up to her. She is so smart, so witty. Because she pulls out that trump card. And she lays down that trump card. And she plays it in verse 15. Look what she says. Samson. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? Bingo. She's got him now. You know why? That's exactly what the woman of Timnah said 20 years earlier to Samson. Delilah's appeal here, it was emotional, it was intense, and it was prolonged as she prodded and pressed Samson for his secret. She knew the power of a woman's tears, and now she's using an avalanche of words to wear him down. When she continues in verse 16, Samson, you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. In other words, Delilah kept at him and kept at him and kept at him and kept at him until finally she rusted away samson's resistance verse 16 says and it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words impressed him so that his soul was vexed to death now don't miss the next phrase in verse 15 that he told her all his heart And the rest, as they say, is history. So what happened here? What just happened, if we can say it this way, in Delilah's beauty salon that led to Samson's bad hair day? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Delilah nagged Samson to death, in other words. But she nagged him to death with her words so that he told her all his heart. In other words, Samson... Caved in and gave up. He had had enough. And he couldn't resist any longer. And yet you have to be somewhat awestruck by just the sheer stupidity of the man at this point. Listen, despite all the evidence of Delilah's betrayal, Samson refused to leave. Instead, he blurted out the most precious secret of his life to a woman who he must have known was committed to destroying him. The book of Proverbs gives us an illustration of what Samson was like at this moment. Samson was like cattle lining up to be slaughtered, and he's too dumb to know it. But that's what happens, folks, when you toy with temptation and think you can get away with it. Samson then tells Delilah all about his Nazarite vow. He explains to her why no razor had ever touched his hair. And then he tells her point blank in verse 17 if I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, at first glance at this story, it almost looks like Samson's been tricked by Delilah, that Delilah tricked him. But that's a myth. Delilah hasn't tricked him. And Samson hasn't been tricked. Samson knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what he was doing. Samson was completely aware of his Nazarite calling, even in the midst of all this. So whatever his problem was, listen, he could not cry ignorance. He knew the terms of his strength. He's explaining it to her. And yet he told her, all his heart, instead of keeping his heart committed to the one who was giving him the strength. It's almost pathetic to read verses 19 through 20. I mean, how could Samson, think about it. After this, how could he go to sleep in the lap of a woman like Delilah? Delilah after what she had done and what he had just revealed. But folks, that's the power of sin. We will do things that are so irrational. We will do things that other people look at and like, oh my gosh, what is going on? How could they be so stupid? Look at verse 19. Look what it says. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And of course, Delilah cries out in verse 20, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But this time Samson was bald his hair is not the only thing that's gone folks so is his strength samson thought playing with delilah was a game but it turned out to be russian roulette and he bought the bullet you can't toy with temptation and keep getting away with it listen sin will take you further than you wanted to go And it will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And as Samson will now learn, number three, sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Samson's life leaves us little doubt that he is one flawed hero. Oh, he is a flawed hero. The last phrases, did you catch him in verses 19 and 20? Those two phrases. At the very end of those two verses, and in my opinion, they contain the saddest statements about Samson's life in all the Bible. It's in your notes. Look at it. The last phrase in verse 19 simply says, and his strength left him. And then you combine that with the last phrase in verse 20, and it says, but he did not know. He didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. In other words, Samson didn't realize what had happened until it was way too late. Like Samson, how many Christians have drifted away from God through stupidity and through folly? They don't realize what they've lost until they've lost it. They don't appreciate what they had until it is gone. When you toy with temptation, listen, sin will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's going on in Samson's life? Delilah, get this, has finally done what the Philistine army could never do. That's amazing. She's brought Samson down, and now he's as weak as any other man. Now, what happens next is truly an ugly picture. The Philistines, you have to understand, they've been waiting 20 long years to get their revenge against Samson. And under, isn't it interesting? The Philistines had no intention of killing him. They wanted revenge. Look what happens next. We see in verse 21 the high cost of Samson's sin. It says, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. I like the translation that says they gouged out his eyes. In other words, that's mutilation. Mutilation. And they brought him down to Gaza. In other words, they deported him away, down to the city where it really started. And they bound him with bronze fetters, incarcerated him, and he became a grinder in the prison. Now you have to understand, grinding grain, That is, there's nothing more humiliating than that because grinding grain was the work of a woman or an animal in those days. Now do you see the irony here? in this picture of Samson. And oh, there is irony. What was always getting Samson in trouble? May I suggest to you, it was his eyes. The lust of the eyes constantly got him in trouble. He had been morally and spiritually blind most of his life. And now the irony is, he is what? He's now physically blind. Listen, God, God had not failed Samson. It was Samson's pride and it was his self-indulgence that has now destroyed his life. And when Samson carried off the city doors, that was an act of boasting. But look who's boasting now. Now. Look who's the humiliated one now. He is now in an utterly humiliated state. In fact, he's more valuable to the Philistines as a source of entertainment and gloating to them than as than if he were dead. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And yet, I'm just I'm blown away by this. There was still hope there was still hope for better days to come in Samson's life. Even when he was in prison, a total failure, God had not abandoned him. In verse 22, we begin to see this ray of hope in a very dark place. And that hope is none other than the healing grace of God. Look at it there in your notes. In verse 22, This healing grace of God. We see it in a picture here where it says, However, the hair of his head began to what? Grow. Again, after it had been shaven. Oh, what a beautiful verse. Verse 22 is. Do you know what this means? Don't miss this because this is the best part. It means even in the midst of the worst kind of failure, God was present working to restore samson samson had hit rock bottom in prison listen there was no place to look but up in his life and that's when i believe samson began to do some soul searching i think god used that prison experience in his life and samson began to ponder how far he had fallen What he had, what God had given to him, all his privileges and advantages, and how he had lost it all. And I think he began to dwell on the grace of God and the mercy of God. And I think Samson began to turn to God and genuinely repent of his sin. And God refused to give up on him. The hair of his head began to grow again. Now we're going to see the rest of that story next Sunday. Because God restores Samson. And God uses Samson one last time for his own glory. And so I encourage you to come back next Sunday as we finish up this series. But until then, what kind of life lessons can you and I walk away with here? What can we learn from this infamous story of Samson and Delilah? Well, let me share three. There's many lessons we could... We could ponder on this morning, but let me just give you three life lessons from this flawed hero of ours. Number one is, unless we deal with our problems, they will come back to haunt us again and again and again. Listen, this was Samson's main issue in life. He never dealt with the real problems of his lust. He never dealt with the real problem of his anger and his uncontrolled spirit, if you will. And it came back 20 years later... And destroyed his life. And unless we deal with the real problems in our life. The real issues. Whether it's anger. Whether it's bitterness. Whether it's lust. Greed. You name it. It doesn't matter. Those problems. Sooner or later. Are going to rear their ugly head. Again down the road. And could eventually destroy our lives. That's why the hardest thing you will ever say is I have a problem and then get the help to deal with it unless we learn to deal with our problems now we are going to deal with them later in a greater way and they're going to come back to haunt us again and again and again listen Samson's life is exhibit A of this principle unless we deal with our problems they will come back to haunt you the second lesson we learn is we can fall, we can fall like Samson if we do not learn that we cannot toy with temptation. Charles Spurgeon, I'm sure many of you have heard that name, the great preacher in London, England. He once said this, I love it, what he said. He said, there are a thousand razors with which the devil can shave off the locks of a consecrated man without his knowing it. Let me say that again because it's worth repeating. There are a thousand razors with which the devil can shave off the locks of a consecrated man without his knowing it. Remember, we are responsible for the decisions we make. And if I can just throw out a plea to us men here this morning, listen, don't allow a Delilah to schedule your next haircut. You say, what do you mean by that, Bruce? I'm saying, men, we've got to guard our eyes and our heart with everything that God has given us. Because if we don't, we will give in and we will toy around with the, quote, Delilahs of this world. Whether it's in the flesh or whether it's through the internet or whatever the case may be. You cannot toy with it over and over again and expect not to get bitten. Samson's life is a vivid illustration that when you toy with temptation, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. So our second life lesson is we can fall like Samson if we do not learn that we cannot toy with temptation. Our third life lesson is this. Even in our failure, though, even in our failure, we can still experience God's healing grace. And we all say what to that? Amen. Amen. Listen, it may be that you are here this morning and you know all too well what it is like to fail as Samson has failed. You have toyed with temptation, and now you have fallen. Maybe you are at rock bottom, and there's nowhere to look but up. In fact, you would be ashamed if anyone knew the details of your sin and of your falling. But I love what Corey Tim Boone once said. She said, there is no pit, listen to me, there's no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. In other words, no matter how far you fall, you can never fall so far that God can't find you. So let me remind you, even in your failure, God will not abandon you. Like Samson, the hair can grow again. That's a beautiful verse to hang on to. So when you fail, come to God. And when you come to God, you say, well, what do I do? You repent of your sin. And to repent of your sin means you acknowledge, I have done wrong. I have sinned. What I have been doing is wrong, God. And I agree with you about it. And you confess it. And you ask God to forgive you of that sin. You plead with Him. And based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross paying the penalty for that sin with His death, you can now receive the grace and the forgiveness of God Almighty. And when we come to God, and when we repent of our sin, and when we claim His forgiveness, let me tell you, God will work His healing grace in your life. You can be restored. You can be used all over again, as we will see next Sunday. Oh man, I'm telling you, Do not give up on God because He will not give up on you. And if you're here this morning and if your heart of heart were opened up and you know, man, I have fallen. I've been toying and toying and maybe that's your life. Last few months, last year, maybe you've just been toying with temptation and yet you have yet to experience the consequences of it don't you think for a moment that you can get away with it. God in His mercy may spare you of all of the consequences, but there's always a price to pay for sin. Listen, claim the forgiveness and grace of God. And if you're already at Rock Bodden, let me encourage you even now as we prepare for our response time to run to the cross of Jesus Christ to confess and repent of your sin and ask for His forgiveness and receive it and let God's healing grace begin to work in your life with your heads bowed. And as John comes, he's going to sing just a a chorus here. And as he does, let me encourage you to use this time to come to Jesus Christ and to run to His cross and do business with Him Don't let this morning pass by without taking care. And perhaps you're here and you haven't fallen, but guys, let me encourage you just to use this time to renew a commitment to God. To keep your eyes guarded, your heart guarded. And if you're still dealing with problems, then get help. Seek out help if you need to. As John sings.